Father, we thank you for your words of life. We thank you for the word of life, Jesus Christ. And we come before you this morning, and we want to see you, we want to hear you, and we want to know you. So we pray for you to reveal yourself to us through your word so that we may know who you are more. I pray specifically, Lord, that in your word you tell us the truth of your sovereignty, that you are in control of all things because you are king. Write that truth on our hearts, Lord, so that we may trust you, rest in you, and obey you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning, everyone. It, uh, I won't lie, I'm pleasantly surprised with all the faces that I'm seeing right now. I thought we were going to have about half, so this is really exciting to me. This morning we are in Psalm 93, so if you have your words of life, please turn to Psalm 93 with me. If you do not have a Bible, you can raise your hand and our strike team will come down and they will hand one out to you. Psalm 93. If you get a strike team Bible, we are on page 320. This morning is our fourth week going through book four of the Psalms. Book four of the Psalms is Psalm 90 through Psalm 106. And our goal for this sermon series is that our faith in Christ would mature as we gain a deeper understanding of who God is. And so far, it's been an amazing journey looking at these psalms. Now, book four of the psalms was written in various times throughout Israel's history, but it was collected and organized when they came back from exile. And before the Israelites went into exile, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Lord promised that they would have a king in the line of David forever. And this promise was super important because when David became king, the Lord and his kingship was joined to the throne of David. In other words, through David, the Lord reigned on earth The Davidic dynasty lasted about 400 years. And according to Legan Duncan, this was the longest human kingly dynasty in the history of the world. But when the Israelites went into exile, they lost their king. When they went into exile, there was no longer a king of David over them. And this would have caused the Israelites to question whether or not God is faithful to his promise. Is God faithful? But another huge question they would have been wrestling with, is the Lord still in control? Is the Lord still king? Psalm 93 answers those questions, so let's look at this psalm together. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. 
The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. This is God's holy word that cannot and does not fail. Have you ever doubted that God was in control? I mean, seriously, just take a look at the weather today and this week and this whole month. It's crazy, right? Our world seems so chaotic, but our world also seems so opposed to God. There is so much evil in our culture. Our culture is becoming more and more hostile to the God of the Bible every single day. And there are people all over the world who are being slaughtered for their faith in Jesus Christ. Is God still in control? Not only is the world chaotic, but our lives are chaotic. We are so busy all the time, and all it takes is one moment and everything changes, whether it's an accident or a divorce or a loss of a job, whatever it is. Life feels so hard, and it doesn't seem like God is actually in control. My friends, the good news for us this morning is that the Lord is in control even when it doesn't seem like it. In other words, the Lord is king even when it doesn't seem like it. And because he is king, we have three responses to his kingship. And these three responses are my three points this morning. So, first, the Lord is king, so trust him, from verses 1 and 2. Second, the Lord is king, so rest in him, verses 3 through 4. And third point this morning, the Lord is king, so obey him. So we got trust, rest, and obey. So first point this morning, the Lord is king, so trust in him, from verses 1 and 2. The psalm begins with the amazing declaration, the Lord reigns. As we've learned the last couple weeks, when you see the Lord in all capital letters, that is referring to Yahweh. Yahweh is the special covenantal name of God. And the name of Yahweh reveals his character and it reveals his promise to his people. His character is that he is faithful to save and faithful to judge, and his promise is that he will always be with his people. And here in this text, the psalmist declares that Yahweh reigns. Now the word for reign here, uh, it's kind of fun if you look at the original language, it, it literally means to king. Yahweh kings, put that in verb form. In other words, Yahweh rules as the king. The Lord is king. Now, in the original language, Yahweh is the first word in the text. And what that means is, is that it's placing emphasis on the fact that Yahweh and Yahweh alone is the one who is reigning. There is no other false god or earthly ruler that can compare to the glorious, sovereign reign of Yahweh. He alone is God, and he alone is king. 
Now, this would have been deeply comforting for the Israelites who were reading or hearing this after coming back from exile because there is no Davidic king on the throne and David's kingship affirmed the truth that Yahweh still reigns. But with no one sitting on the throne of David, they would have been questioning, is Yahweh still king? But the very first line of this psalm makes it very clear that Yahweh is king. What great reassurance that would have given them. But what great reassurance it gives us too that the Lord is king even when it doesn't seem like it. The Lord reigns. And the psalmist continues, he is robed in majesty. Now in Old Testament times, kings would wear robes and that, these robes would display their power and their might. But the Lord, Yahweh, is wearing a robe that no other king could come close to wearing because he is robed in majesty. His majesty is his glory. Yahweh is majestic. He is king and he is glorious. And his majesty or his glory refers to his magnificence, his dignity, his beauty, his splendor, and his awesomeness. It refers to his royal sovereign power as the king of the universe. He alone is wrapped in glory and robed in majesty. Now his majesty is a majesty of power. The psalmist continues, he has put on strength as his belt. His strength refers to his power in subduing all things to his control. Yahweh is all-powerful, and he is in sovereign over all things. For a king to reign, he has to be powerful. A king has power. But for Yahweh to reign over all things, he has to be all-powerful. My friends, Yahweh possesses what no man can, an incomprehensible wealth of power, a strength and authority that is absolute. He is all-powerful, and he is in control of all things. The strength of man is a grain of sand in the ocean of God's power. And it is by his power and his majesty that the whole world was established. He is the creator and sustainer of the entire universe. He is the creator of every star in the sky, every planet in the solar system. He is the maker of every blade of, blade of grass and every bird in the sky. He is the author of every hair on your head and every cell in your body. And his creation shall never be moved. In other words, there is nothing that is outside the control of the Lord. There is no star, there is no planet that is outside of his control. There is no blade of grass, there is no bird in the sky that is outside of his sovereign hand. There is not a hair on your head, there is not a cell in your body that is outside the jurisdiction of the Lord. Yahweh is king, amen? And his throne is established from of old. His throne is and his rule have been established 
since creation. Now, the only reason that the world is established and the only reason that the world cannot be moved is because Yahweh as king, Yahweh himself is established and he himself cannot change. The Lord is unchangeable. He never changes. He always remains the same. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And his rule, his kingship, and his reign cannot and will, change, will not change for all of eternity because he himself is everlasting. Not only is he unchangeable, he is eternal. Yahweh has no beginning or end. He was not created. He always has been, always will be, and always is who he is. These first two verses are amazing, and they describe in poetic detail that Yahweh is the majestic, almighty, unchanging, and eternal king of creation. A.W. Pink says it like this, Before him, presidents and popes, kings and emperors are less than grasshoppers. He is the sovereign king who is in control of all things. Now we as a church, we hold to the sovereignty of God in all things. And the seminary that I'm going to, we also hold to the sovereignty of God in all things. And one of my professors used to joke with us. He would say that we think and talk about the sovereignty of God so much that we probably wake up in the middle of the night with cold sweat and just yell, sovereignty of God! Now, we can joke about that. And we, we often reduce this attribute of God to a foolish debate But at the end of the day, do you believe it? Do you believe that he is the sovereign king? Do you believe that he is in control of everything, even when it doesn't seem like it? Our challenge with trusting his sovereignty is that we want to be in control. We want to be the king or the queen. We want to be in control of our time. We want to be in control of our relationships. We want to be in control of our body image. We want to be in control of our kids. My friends, when we try to be in control of everything, it's like a baby trying to backseat drive. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Thank you for laughing at that. (laughs) It just doesn't make any sense because at the end of the day, the Lord is driving, right? Jesus does have the wheel and he is the majestic, almighty, unchangeable, and eternal king of everything. And we can trust with our life that he is in control even when it doesn't seem like it. My friends, trust the sovereignty of God. The Lord is king, so trust him. 
Because he is king, we can also rest in him. So point two this morning, the Lord is king, so rest in him, verses three and four. So Yahweh is king, and his throne is eternally established. And he has also established the world, and it shall never be moved. What glorious truth. But I can imagine that this would be hard for the Israelite to hear. How could the Lord be king when there is no Davidic king in Israel? How could the Lord be king when it seems like the nations have taken over the world? How could the Lord be king when everything is so chaotic? This is what the psalmist is getting at in verse 3 when he says, The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. The floods represent all chaos and all opposition to the kingship of Yahweh. And the imagery here is of a flooding river that erupts over the banks and destroys everything that gets in its path. And the same seems true for all of the chaos and for all of the opposition to the Lord. The chaos and opposition of this life has lifted up its voice against Yahweh. Our culture has lifted up its voice against the sovereign king. But my friends, the Lord is king even when it doesn't seem like it. Because he is on high and he is mightier than the thunders or literally the voice of many waters. And he is mightier than the waves of the sea. Now if you think about the waves of the sea, they are continuous, right? They never stop. They ebb and flow in strength and power, but they are constantly there hitting the shore one wave after the other, after the other, after the other. And there are even times when the waves erode the shoreline. So is the enemy of God throughout history trying to destroy the almighty king one wave after the other, after the other. And there are times when it seems like the enemies have won. But the psalmist reminds the Israelites and he reminds us that the Lord is on high and he is mightier than the thunders of many waters. He is mightier than the waves of the sea. He is more powerful than any of his enemies throughout the history of creation. In a world full of seemingly chaos, he is the one who is in control. He is the king of creation. He is the king of redemption. He is the eternal, unchanging, all-powerful God who is the sovereign king of the universe. And my friends, he is king even when it doesn't seem like it. Now this would have given comfort to the Israelites, but they still wouldn't have been fully able to comprehend all that the psalmist is saying here is because there is still no Davidic king over Israel. What they couldn't fully understand, we can. And that truth is that the promise for a king in the line of David was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The promise for a king in the line of David was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
And what's amazing is that this thought frames the entire New Testament. If we look at the very first verse in the New Testament, what does it say? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? The son of David and the son of Abraham. In one of the last verses of the Bible, there's like five or six that are after it. Jesus proclaims, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And we learn in Luke chapter 1, right before Jesus was born, that the Lord God is going to give Jesus the throne of his father David, and of his kingdom there will be no end. My friends, the promise for a king in the line of David was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the king over creation. He is the one who rebuked the wind and the sea during a storm. He is the one who walked on the sea. But not only is he the king of creation, he is also the king of redemption. He is the one who, after giving up his life as the perfect sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Now, to sit down at the right hand of God means to sit down on the throne of God as king. Jesus, right now, is seated on his throne at the right hand of God as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is Yahweh, and he is king. He is the king over everything in creation. He is the king over everything in redemption. The wind and the waves will come, but Jesus Christ is always king. And because he is king, we can rest in him. Resting in him doesn't get rid of the chaos. Resting in him is a deep heart-level peace in the midst of the storm because he is the king of the storm. I used to be a missionary in Uganda. I used to live there. And uh, in Uganda, they have these motorcycles called Boda Bodas, and these Boda Bodas are public transportation. You just can stick up your hand, and they'll give you a ride anywhere that you need to go. You just hop on the back, and we saw some crazy things on the back of Boda Bodas. Um, The craziest thing I saw was um, a casket, so keep that in mind. So one day, I was with a group of friends. There was five of us, and we needed to get a ride about 11 miles Uh, just to where we were living at the time. And it was really dark. It was nighttime. And we eventually got a ride on three different bodas. We had two of my friends on one boda with a driver, two of my friends on another boda with a driver, and then me on a separate boda with a driver. And our drivers were so excited to have Americans on the back of their bodas. And we didn't realize at this time, but looking back on it, they were probably drinking. so they were, dri- like, they were driving like maniacs through the town, just going crazy. And we're on the back of these bodas, and these, these, these guys are just driving crazy. Now, as we're driving, it's also a little bit wet out, and it's all dirt roads. So as we're driving, we're going, they're just kind of dinking around, just being stupid. And all of a sudden, our boda starts going like this. We start shaking. And I'm like holding on for dear life. 
but we survived. We made it, so we kept going. And a couple minutes later, we started doing it again, except for it was way harsher and way worse, and we eventually crashed to the ground, and we were sliding, like going really fast. And as we were sliding, our heads were like this, and one of my friends on the other bodas went by, and his knee nicked the top of the boda that was crashed. Literally, their boda was inches away from the back of our heads. Now, by the time me and my driver got up and, like, you know, realized what just happened, the other two bodas were way gone, and it was nighttime. We were in the middle of nowhere, more than rural North Dakota. Um, and my driver did not speak English, and I had no idea what to do. So I ended up getting back on the boda, which was not smart. We still had, like, eight miles to go. I got back on the boda, and I was, I was just, like, shaken up. I was scared. So I was holding on for dear life, and the rest of the way I was singing, he's got the whole world in his hands. Right? Right? So we made it by God's grace, but the truth of God's sovereignty comforted my heart in the midst of a scary time. My friends, Jesus Christ does have the whole world in his hands. And we can rest in him when it's scary and when it's chaotic because he is in sovereign control over everything. He is the king over the floods. He is the king over the waves of the sea. He is the king over our culture. And there is no chaos. There is no opposition that stands a chance against our king. And my friends, in the midst of the chaos, we can have deep, heart-level peace because he is king and he is in control. Jesus Christ is king even when it doesn't seem like it. And he is in control even when it doesn't seem like it. When you are scared, he is king. When you are exhausted, he is sovereign. When you feel beat down, he is still in control. And it is only in his hands that you can find rest because he does have the whole world in his hands. How comforting, how assuring, and how restful is it to be in the hands of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is king, so trust him. Jesus Christ is king, so rest in him. Jesus Christ is king, so obey him. So third point this morning, Jesus is king, so obey him, coming from verse 5. So, so far, we have learned that the kingship of our Lord is glorious, it's unchanging, it's eternal, it's all-powerful. He is the sovereign king over creation, he is the sovereign king over history, and he is the sovereign king of redemption. Now, in this sense, his rule is independent from us in how we live. There is a general sovereignty that King Jesus has over everything. But there is also a specific rule that King Jesus has over us. In other words, he rules over all creation, but he also rules over us in a very special way. And he rules over us through his word 
and through his holiness. And these two ideas are very connected, and we're going to tie them together here. Verse 5, his decrees are very trustworthy, and holiness befits his house forever. So his decrees or his laws are very trustworthy. As sure and faithful as he is, so is his law. His law is his way of ruling over his people. What that means for us today is that King Jesus rules over us through his word. If you profess Jesus as your king and as your savior, he exercises his authority over you through his word. In other words, to disbelieve or disobey God, excuse me, to disbelieve or disobey God's word is to disbelieve and disobey the king. And so we can't obey our king unless we know what's in the Bible. And in the Bible, God tells us that through Christ we are not the king, but we have a kingly role. And what I mean by that is in the Old Testament, daily Bible reading was only a privilege that the king had. Only the kings had their daily Bible and they were called to read it every single day. As heirs of Christ, we are royal offspring and we are to read God's word and to obey God's word as our kingly duty. Reading and meditating on God's word daily is a kingly activity. That's a pretty amazing thing. Therefore, for us, we need to be reading and meditating on and obeying God's word. Not only is God's word trustworthy, holiness befits his house forevermore. As we looked at last week, the house of the Lord refers to the temple. And the temple was the place where God lived on earth and where his special presence was with his people. And the psalmist here is saying that holiness befits or characterizes the temple. The Lord's temple is holy because the Lord is holy and he will be holy forevermore. God's holiness means that he is separated from sin in his being and in his doing, in who he is and in his actions. He is the sum of all moral excellency. He is absolute purity, and he is unstained by even the shadow of sin. And he cannot and does not do anything that has anything remotely close to do with sin. As we learned in 1 John, he is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so he rules over us as our holy king. And as our king, he calls us to be holy as he is holy. Being holy is the greatest way of glorifying our glorious king. Being holy is the heart of obeying our king. And the reason he wants us to be holy is because only holiness can be in the presence of God. Another way to say that is our obedience to our king is for our good. If you trust in the kingship of Christ, and if you rest in the kingship of Christ, then it is good for you to obey your king. And King Jesus makes this point clear 
in the Sermon on the Mount. You've probably heard this many times, but he says that if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, tear it off and throw it away. That seems pretty drastic, doesn't it? Do we hate our sin that much that we're willing to throw off our arm, to tear out our eye? But the point of Jesus, the point of our King, is that it is infinitely and eternally better to obey him than it is to lust after the fleeting desires and pleasure of sin. And we can only enjoy the presence of our King when we tear out our sin and obey him. We grow in holiness by turning away from our sin and obeying Christ. And that might be a good thing to talk about in community groups. What does that look like practically? What are the things that you're struggling with? But my friends, Jesus Christ is king, so obey him. He is king even when it doesn't seem like it. When you wake up in the morning, what is the first thing that you think about? When I wake up, the first thing that I usually think about is some sort of combination between how exhausted I am and how overwhelmed I am by all that I have to do that day. Now, that's not a very good start for my heart in the morning, is it? I'm focused on myself. But how good would it be for our hearts if the first thing that we thought in the morning was, King Jesus, rule over me today. And King Jesus, help me to trust that you are in control of all things. King Jesus, rule over me today and help me to trust that you are in control of all things. What a heart changer that would be because it would take our focus off of ourselves and place it on our king, which is where it belongs. Every single day, he is king. Every single moment, he is king. And yes, the world does seem chaotic. And our lives do seem chaotic. But Jesus Christ is king even when it doesn't seem like it. And because he is king, we can trust him, we can rest in him, and we can obey him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that we can come before you now and call you king. I pray that our hearts have got a glimpse of your glory and your kingship so that we may trust you, rest in you, and obey you. And I pray that that is the focus of our hearts, that we long for you to rule over us, that we long to have a trust that you are in control of all things. Lord, thank you for showing us that this morning and help our hearts to rest in that glorious truth, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.